Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Wouldn't it be great if the entire football family could just get along? It just kills me having to watch the kids fight like this, Ken and Murph. Oh. Irish Times Second Captain's Football podcast in ears. I'm talking, of course, about Gary Neville and Henry Winter. Oh, Trouble in Paradise. Trouble in Paradise, yes. The You went big on Neville on Monday's podcast, Ken, after he called one Arsenal fan an idiot and laid into the Arsenal fan TV camera things mm. after they defeated Chelsea. Well, Henry Winter, chief football writer of the Times in the UK. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I'll stop doing that stop now. Doing that. I'll stop doing that. <laughs> Henry Winter did not like, I might not stop doing it, but I won't do it again in this, in this podcast. Okay. Right, so he didn't like Neville's angle at all, Henry Winter. Arrogant Neville had no right to call unhappy fan idiot for protest. Winter tracked down the fan, Kane Hops, who says he spent around £60,000 following Arsenal since they last won the league. Says he spends about five grand a year, which, uh, well, I suppose you... you yeah. You know, each to their own. Some's, probably, checked, some's check out. Yeah, probably tots up pretty quick, all right. And he reckons that he was well within his rights to bring his little banner along to the Chelsea game. Enough is enough, time to go, was the, what the banner said. Hops expresses shocked that Neville would call him an idiot on live TV. And Winter was inclined to agree, pointing out that Neville, of all people, should be fighting for the right to protest, given his reputation as the barrack room lawyer of the Manchester United dressing room. The stench of hypocrisy. Um, I don't think Gary Neville liked it. He didn't. So, at Henry Winter, I have no rights to an opinion. If I do, change your headline and article to say you disagree with my opinion. If you don't like it, turn off your station. Winter hits back. Fans have a right to protest, Gary. (laughs) Neville. I never once said he didn't have a right to an opinion. Do I have a right to an opinion also? It's my opinion, in capital letters, that a fan who prints a banner against a man who's given 20 years service is an idiot. Winter hits back. Many Arsenal fans angered by the club's drift under Wenger over the past decade, Gary. Protesting fan not on his own, and he's not an idiot. I see, I see you smiling, Murph. This is, this is, I mean, this is Saipan type stuff. You've got to pick a side. Are you Winter or are you Neville on this one, lads? I'm, just, I'm, I'm Kane Hops. The, Kane the use Hops. Of, the, of his name in... All in both tweets from Henry Winter there. Gary? Yeah. 
I don't know. I, 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 does it read patronizingly on but the screen? Is, on? I mean, I'm just, as I'm hearing it, it sounds patronizing. But isn't that a way of of uh, disarming um, anger in the in your interlocutor, Kieran? Can can can? No, that's that's can. not how you do it. You're doing it wrong. You don't repeat the person's name. Over that is patronizing. that is that yeah. is deliberately ah, little little, little Kenny early. But just but to Gary, use the person's but, name is is yeah, a, a time honored technique of, of winning friends and influencing people. Simon, his, his Twitter his Twitter his Twitter handle is already there. He doesn't need to use his name again. Well, his Twitter handle is what at gnev two or something. Mm. Yeah, but I mean, it's obvious who he's speaking to. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no, there's no, I mean, it's obvious, if I was to speak to you, I mean, I'm speaking to you now, Kieran, but yes, if right. I use your name, what's the, what's the problem with that? I know, tell you who does that a lot, Neil Lennon. Does he? Yeah, he does, yeah. <laughs> he, uh, we, I've we, never noticed that before, Ken. Well, we were speaking to uh, Neil Lennon um, around the time of, when he was on a, our TV show. Uh, and speaking to him after that for a while, and he, he does it a lot. It's a bit like Owen Coyle's uh, emojis. Mm. Two Pre, well, Bolton emoji. managers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah smileys, uh, colon, bracket smileys. Mm. Um, Neil Lennon, uh, maybe he was just trying to remind himself. <laughs> just <laughs> make sure he could, didn't forget the name. Your, his, your name could drop off the cliff of his consciousness at any moment, given how. Yeah, But like, he does, he did use it all. And I, I found myself sitting there thinking, you know, Neil Lennon, it's talking to me, and I get the feeling he really is talking to me. You know, it, it, these thoughts have been personalised for my ears. You're really easy to charm yeah. from the point of view of <laughs> top level managers. You know, the Owen Coyle emojis in text story that Kent tells yeah, a few weeks that, ago that got him too. That's true. Uh, just, just the tiniest amount of respect. <laughs> and I'm literally just putty in their hands. We got a few emails in on the Arsenal Fan TV chat, and I will get to one or two of those a little bit later on. But first, a big, big thank you to everybody who's been in touch in the last couple of days about the Second Captain's World Service. We've had an absolutely massive response. A lot of people saying some ridiculously nice things about the show and about the idea. So we're even more excited now about getting this thing going next week. Although, I think we did worry a few people with the dramatic nature of the unveiling on Monday, guys. Gary Timothy? said that announcement was tense. I thought Owen was going to fall on his sword or that Ken was going to lose women. <laughs> oh, Dakati, Jays, I thought you were moving to the Sosanok for a minute. Grand, so I'll sign up, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dakati. Uh, the dramatic clip we played might have something to do with the emotional reactions, I think. Here it is again, in case you missed the news. That might be, you know, aiming for utopia, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Oh, Richie, God. how are we feeling this morning? I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works, Oh, It really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have on a podcast. I don't want to get into a water world. I don't want to get into a water world. It's good, isn't it? There's a guy. You might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I remember Alan Ferns? Yeah, yeah. Red haired guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. and Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness uh, <laughs> Super Bowl dressing room. Oh, Mottling Street there. Frazier and Ali and another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. Well, the few people resist publicly, he uh, casts a light 
to lit up our pathway. 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in it's Ireland. It's unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think, at David Beckham uh, in the... Is that right? No. So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. <laughs> Holy shit, Kenan Murphy. It's US Murphy. Round of applause for US Murphy. That's him. Kios, right? Upstairs at Kios. Kios, everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> oh, my oh, word. Oh, Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying, Sig Thorson is the old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. About 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Can you pull off the James McCarthy impression at a moment's notice, Ken, or is it something you have to work up to? Uh, no, it was just—it was fresh in my mind. Could you do it now? Uh, I don't think so. You're like a parrot. If you've—if you'd been speaking <laughs> to James McCarthy or had heard James McCarthy in the last three days, then you'd be able to do it. Yeah. Those are just some of our favourite moments. In thanks for playing along, Ken. Yeah, in the four Appreciate years it. of the Irish Times Second Captain's <laughs> podcast, uh, you might have been listening to the show since the very start. Maybe you picked it up somewhere along the way. Either way, as I mentioned on Monday. It's been a hell of a lot of fun doing nearly 800 episodes with you guys. And we hope you can join us as we get ready to do a hell of a lot more. Next Monday, February 13th, we're launching the Second Captain's World Service. It's a member-led, completely independent online station that gives you the chance to listen to all your favourite Second Captain's podcasts every day of the week. You'll have the usual two Monday shows and then a podcast a day from Tuesday to Friday. I'm no genius, I'm no mathematical genius, but I've been doing the numbers. You certainly are not on. As far as I can make out, that comes to six podcasts a week. One, two, on Monday, one, two, one, two three, four. Uh, that's six. Go, yeah. And that's just a minimum. That is just for starters. We're also going to be announcing further programming from the second captain stable. As I mentioned, this will be led by you guys. And membership will cost five euro a month, plus VAT, depending where in the world you're listening from. And aside from all the shows, you'll also get the once-in-a-lifetime gift of a second captain's induction pack. I think another whistle for the induction pack. <laughs> oh, don't tell me you're not going to do it for me. <laughs> okay, there we go. Nice. Sorry. Just to clear up a couple of the questions we've been getting quite a lot in the last couple of days. Membership will be open from next Monday, February 13th. That is when you can sign up. Where to do it is on secondcaptains.com. That's where you sign up. The first of the daily podcast begins on Monday. And yes, you will be able to listen to all the shows on your podcast app, whether that's the iTunes one, Overcast, Podcast Republic, Podcast Addict, whatever it might be. And if you're not in a position to join up, no problem at all. You can still listen to the two Monday shows, whatever way you listen now. But to join and hear the shows right through the week, every week, please become part of the Second Captain's World Service. We did mention on Monday that this is a completely new form of independent broadcasting in the UK and Ireland, and that we think this is the way to go so that we can make more of the type of shows that we enjoy doing and that you like to listen to, that we certainly think you like to listen to. And judging by the initial reaction so far, you guys are thinking the same way, which is great because we're relying on you to make this thing work. So... Keep it up. 
Mm-hmm. Let's keep this going. The, uh, next, so it's next Monday, February 13th. The Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast becomes the Second Captain's Podcast and you can get it daily. It'll be very easy, very secure to join up. All the details will be on the beautiful new website. I should also mention secondcaptains.com has got a hell of a revamp. So that's uh, a beautiful new version of the website, secondcaptains.com on Monday. That just means there's more photographs of you on there, Owen. Ah, listen. I, I mean, I, 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 who's counting? But it's certainly the percentage of photographs of Owen McDevitt on this website. Owen, you're amazing. Wow, Luke, <laughs> thank you. If you have any questions at all in the meantime, even ones that might sound silly in your head, that's no problem at all. Email them to editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains. Ah, it's too late, Wolfie. Come on. We've already made the announcement. This this guy, mm, he's killing me. I know. He's, uh, he, he appears to have fallen out of love with us. <laughs> the, the Hal has more of a sort of a, uh, I don't know, it's, uh, it's it sounds sadder now. More, uh, and we give him most of we give him most of Bobby Sadler's food, so he really should be <laughs> happy enough. Reporting sporking. Well, Owen, um, I think we're going to have to talk a little bit more about Arsenal, and I know we did that on Monday, and you've already been doing that, but uh, it just keeps coming. <laughs> <clears throat> so, what have we got today? Um, Arsene Wenger. Uh, is reported by the Daily Mirror, John Cross, to have encouraged Arsenal fans to be a bit more like Tottenham fans. Now, did he really? He kind of did. He said, our fans have been consistent and have a high level of expectation, as I do, but I don't feel you can be a fan until last Tuesday and then not be behind the team anymore. It doesn't make sense. All the other clubs, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, they have big expectations and big history. We are in a fight. We have to be united or we have no chance. You've Tottenham as well. And everyone is behind their team, and we have to do the same. Oh, Arsene. Do you think he is think he's saying everyone? Uh, he, is, he, is he just saying all these teams are united, therefore we also must be united? Or is he using Tottenham as an example to the Arsenal fans of how to be a football supporter? Well, he mentioned Tottenham by name. He did mention them. There was no need to do that. <laughs> and he didn't do the Jack Wilshire. Uh, he, didn't, um, he didn't just use Tottenham as the first part of a call and response, uh, which... Uh, <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah I want the fans to be behind the team focus on what we do well they were great players last Tuesday and they are still great players of course it's been a difficult week not as difficult as I thought it was going to be uh, given that I mistakenly uh, was talking about the Bayern Munich game they're going to have to play uh, this week which in fact isn't until next week so that was you just idiot. that was that was just as well um, just as well that that, that didn't uh, that's not going to happen yet Arsenal is made of uh, special nice strengths. It's nice to have another week to build up to those Champions League fixtures, Ken. It's okay. Mm. Uh, and one of those strengths is to be united. He says, uh, it is not me that is at stake. It is Arsenal Football Club. But l'état c'est moi. You know, what's the difference? Where does Arsene end and Arsenal begin? It's, start, it's certainly harder to draw that distinction now than it was in 1997. Well, at the end, presumably. Are you out of the title race, Arsene? Miss my gag. Okay. <laughs> at the end. At the end, Arsene ends and Arsenal begins. That's at true. The end. Yeah. It was a. I thought you said end, sem- and I didn't understand it at all. It was sort of a <laughs> semantic joke again. Uh, so that's fine. Uh, Moving along. So <laughs> he was asked if they th- if he thought they were out of the title race, and he said, "It is never over. At least we have to behave like that." But, Tot- <laughs> but, but Tottenham are an unstoppable juggernaut 
who will deservedly win the league this year. Have you heard their fans? They're amazing. Yeah. They'll overhaul Chelsea, don't worry. I love Chelsea too, though. They've taken a corner off the ground, and if anything, those fans have got even louder. Um, but anyway, what, what the Arsenal fans, Arsenal is not the only person commenting on them. Um, we, we've also got pundits uh, talking about them, and... And I'm about to. We're going to hear a little bit from one. Now, there is a sound effect here, but don't worry. There's no train uh, coming down the track, so you don't have to leap out of the way. Right then, Burley's boiling point. What have you got? Burley's boiling point. What was that? The. the sound was a kettle, an an old fashioned kettle. (laughs) Whistling because the kettle, the water, I suppose, representing the brain of Craig Burley is boiling mm. and shooting steam out the spout and causing that whistling sound, which alerts you that it's time to take over. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that the, the kettle appears uh, on the screen and sort of jiggles around a bit. Uh, so so uh, hot is the temperature of the water inside. Um, so Burley's boiling point is like is, is one of these like... Um, you know, quick hits, quick hot takes, shareable, consumable chunks of content, uh, which are, you know, pretty big, pretty big online. You know, you think of, uh, you know, Tommy Lauren's final thoughts, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, Keith you know. Olbermann for uh, GQ magazine. Yeah. The Resistance, I think it's called or something. You, you, you know, so, so it's like a little, uh, you know, punchy uh, section in which the pundit delivers some hard hitting views. And uh, the idea, I suppose, is people share it online. Gird um, your loins on. So what What was boiling Burley's brain? <laughs> Let's find out. The Arsenal fans are spineless. I'm telling you, <laughs> Arsenal fans, you are spineless. You're a mirror image of your team. Weak. Mentally weak. How can Arsenal fans continue to accept what they get every year? What they pay for their ticket, their season books, and they follow their club across Europe and up and down the country in England, and they accept the mediocrity, and it is mediocrity, by a club of that standard, getting in the top four. And then getting, and then they keep using the Champions League as so, a barometer for... <laughs> no, just it was a twist there that I, I did not see coming. What? I thought he was going to call them mentally weak, and it just, whatever else he called them there, for having a go at Arsene Wenger. You know, you should be mentally strong and stick by this team through a rough oh, patch. No. Didn't no. they were mentally weak for essentially not... I don't know. Revolution in the streets. Yeah, That's what Burley is calling for. Molotov cocktails. Yeah. That uh, out-of-touch board won't be looking so uh, smugly complacent up there when the director's box is consumed in flames. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's if that is that uh, is Craig Burley actually still giving his opinion? Because as fans, you can make that change. <laughs> well, it's you can pressurize the board. You, you can make that change. You can pressurize the board. It, it, it's like, uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it, the thing is that they can. I mean, this is the whole point. You know, the board gets to make the decision. You know, and, and the board obviously don't really care. And also, it's not as though everybody necessarily thinks this way. I mean, I guess I I feel. Um, that there is a majority of Arsenal fans now who would like a different manager. Not all of them necessarily are, are really angry about it. A lot of them are just kind of bored and would like something different to happen at some point. Because this has been going, this has been going on a long time, nearly as long as, as Craig Burley's 
boy, is Bruce still boiling? 1996 and 2004 was amazing. It's time to take this <laughs> kettle off the heat. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's dangerous. But, um, but it I has s- been going on a long time. Yeah, I see Craig Burley as, you know, the bare-chested woman standing on top of the, the, the as they storm the Bastille. Marianne. Marianne, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, she's Marianne not- Burley. She, yeah. <laughs> Who's uh, with me? <laughs> Go in a different direction. Uh, the, what do they do? The red and the black. It's um, so, uh, can I get to an email? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just on this, it's Vikas V. This is one of the ones that came into us for on this subject from to editor at secondcaptains.com. Hi, I felt the coverage of Arsenal fans being considered as a magnification of Arsenal fan TV is an extraordinary exaggeration. The feeling of Wenger having to leave amongst Arsenal fans has percolated much deeper than the loud Arsenal fan TV. Our record against Tottenham, Chelsea, United City over the last 36 games is six wins, 15 draws and 15 losses. A record which is extremely poor among our peer clubs. Nobody would want to boo Wenger for what he has done for the club. However, there seems to be no way for the fans to get their voices heard with the Arsenal board. Hence, we are seeing the heightened use of protest signs at games to attract some attention. Mm. Not enough, though. Thanks very much for the email, email there, VKSV. Not enough attention, according to Craig Burley. No, they, they, these weak, mentally weak Arsenal fans need to do more. Uh, to... You cry like a little baby. <laughs> you cannot call a player a baby. A baby. Um, but it, it, I mean, it has been going on a, a long time. I'm supposed to illustrate that. Um, I'm, I, I keep referring to David Stubbs on here because he is an Arsenal supporter, and he does write quite funny things about Arsenal sometimes, especially when they lose. He expresses his anger. Um, I remember. Uh, <laughs> Uh, he, he wrote, you know, a series of things about oh, it's sort of do not adjust your sets. Arsenal, yes, Arsenal have lost one nil to you know Wigan um, in the shock development of the season. You know, it's, so it's a series of like fake match reports on Arsenal matches. Um, you know, and uh, possession statistics of ninety eight two. If anything, belied Arsenal's dominance, <laughs> um, so on and so forth. But obviously, they they keep losing. Um, Wenger is saying, oh, look, this is a young team getting younger every season. Uh, and he says, look, uh, I'm looking at the long term. This is a young club, just 122 years old in football. That is young. Judge me over the next century, century and a half. That is what we are building for. The fans must show patience and understanding, you know, etc. And then they always end with Arsenal or Arsene Wenger is supposedly looking to sign some a young, a wiry young uh, attacking midfielder in the fleb mold, uh, Sebastian Weedy of Marseille, Mikkel Milksop, uh, puny dribbly. Um, it is thought they will tuck in somewhere between Theo Walcott and Samir Nasri in the right channel. But the interesting thing about that, okay, that I mean, I, I find find David's stuff very funny usually when he's talking about Arsenal and, and various sort of things. But when he said that thing about judge me in a century, a century and a half, or 120 years old, in football that is young. That was obviously a joke written in 2008. This is all from 2008. So that's nearly a decade ago, right? <laughs> Same stuff has been happening every year. But we mentioned the other day Arsene Wenger's interview with, with the Keep Sport in Style. This was the, a big interview, um, thoughtful, philosophical, reflective, big issues. Um, they even dressed him up specially in a sort of series of Theresa Lowe type outfits. Um, and he was at like, uh, he was at what uh, the Hotel Belle Rive, L'Ancien Villa Saint-Louis de Scott Fitzgerald. Right, so we're talking about um, all, all the sort of glamour 
of uh, of old Paris and Wenger moody shots of of Wenger wearing the type of clothes you never actually see him wearing. I mean, usually he wears very a very boring outfit of a navy blue V-neck jumper, red tie, white shirt, and that really long jacket. Sometimes, that he can't sometimes, up. yeah. Yeah, that's that's so he's he, he doesn't usually wear these kinds of high fashion, but he did, you know, he, he said lots of interesting things because he is a very uh interesting man, basically. Um, but he this is the quote bearing in mind what David Subs had written, and and they say, Your stint in Japan when you coached Nagoya Grandpa's eight changed you profoundly, they say in a statement question. Finger hmm. says, The chairman, Shoichiro Toyota told me he wanted to make Nagoya the greatest club in Japan and in the world within 100 years. That negates the pressure of immediacy in a fabulous way. What becomes a loss if you project your destiny on a century? I also found that idea extremely generous. Only being a conveyor belt in history is part of a movement that is much larger than you are, being part of something that is beyond you. Unfortunately, we live too often with the idea that the world is going to stop after us. That is not humanity. Uh, there is a form of scientism in that, being the carrier of an always improving destiny for humanity. We can question that today. So, literally, the century timescale mm-hmm. was something that Wenger thinks about. Mm. You know, that's that's that he he is looking at it in those terms. I mean, it, maybe it's a bit self-serving, in a sense. You know, judge me in a century, a century and a half. <laughs> um, but you know, he's making a he's making a point. I mean, Birdie's saying, you know, we need we need more. This is mediocrity. It's mediocrity. They're finishing in the top four in the richest league in the world. They finished second last season. You know, they've won two FA Cups in the last three seasons. Still in the Champions League, of course. Wenger, in that same interview, um, tries to put this in perspective again, saying, for me, the beauty of sport is that everyone wants to win, but there will only be one winner. If you put 20 billionaires at the top of the 20 English clubs, there will only be one champion and 19 disappointments. I don't understand. My grandfather used to say, I don't understand. In the 100 meters, one of them runs 10.1 seconds, the other one 10.2 seconds. Both are very fast. What's the point? Well, not very fast if we're talking at the top level there, by the way. 10.1 seconds is not winning any Olympic medals these days. This is Wenger's grandfather. I mean, Wenger's grandfather was presumably talking to him in the 1950s when rationing was still a thing in Europe and not too many people were running 9.58. My my, my apologies, I I missed the grandfather. Um, Today, we glorify the one that ran in 10.1 seconds. Well, we don't, strictly speaking. (laughs) And say the one that ran 10.2 seconds is, you know... uh, Barely a national champion. Yeah. Sorry, do we need to explain the meaning of sport to Arsene Wenger now? But both of them are very fast. Well, yeah. That's dangerous for sports. Well, his point is that, that okay, there can only, only one team can win the league. That doesn't mean that all the, like, that, that there's one team that did everything right, that got it right, and 19 teams who cocked it up. You know? Some of the teams that didn't win also did very well. They did a great job. Tremendous. They just didn't happen to finish top. You see? Whereas what, what the Arsenal fans are being encouraged to do is to say nothing but winning is good enough. Literally, first place is good enough. Second place, get out. You know? Is that reasonable? Well, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know whether to attack the particular Arsenal slant of this or the broader sporting ideal. We have reached an era in which we glorify the winner without looking at the means or the method. And 10 years later, we realize the guy was a cheat. And during that time, the one that came second suffered. He didn't get recognition. 
with all that's been said about them, they can be very unhappy. So Wait, who's you've got loads now? of money. Go spend a load of it and win the league, Arsenal. Get get the hell out of the way. Stop talking about some lad running a really slow 100 metres. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's one other thing I want to mention from that, again, interview from a couple of years ago. But this is kind of leading into the next thing. And this is this is why, you know, Wenger does good interviews when he chooses to do them. Um, I chose a team sport. There is a kind of magic when men unite their energies to express a common idea. That is when sport becomes beautiful. The unhappiness of man comes when he finds himself alone to fight against the problems he must face. Especially in modern society, team sport has a value that of being able to be ahead of its time. You can play with 11 players from 11 different countries and offer a collective work. Today's sports can show what the world of tomorrow will be. Uh, I don't know if he'd still say that. I don't know if he would still say that. I mean, this is, this is less than two years ago. Mm. But whether uh, the world of tomorrow is necessarily going to look the way that he thought it would. I mean, he's always kind of said this, you know, I don't care about the players' passports, I don't care where they come from. Get them all in there, you know, it doesn't matter where they're from, they're all they're all Arsenal. Um, but maybe that is uh, beginning to change. That could be overtaken by wider forces, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of agree with him that, that, that it is like a functional example of, of you know, what, what a multiculturalism yeah. could look like. You know, people are, you know, different in visible ways and have things, nevertheless, that bring them together and can work together, uh, despite the fact that they come from different places, uh, which is an idea which Arsene Wenger, I think, has always believed in, which is becoming increasingly unfashionable. Um, so where does that lead you? you said trying, to address, the next bit. trying to address that at the moment are uh, Dejan Lovren oh. and Liverpool Football Club. Oh, yeah. Uh, they put out a documentary, sort of a 22-minute um documentary with Lovren in which he in which he talks about his childhood his childhood in which he had to um, flee the collapsing Yugoslavia uh, and become a refugee in Germany um, to escape from the war yeah, he grew about, up in Bosnia hmm. so he talks about things that happened uh, his uncle's brother was was killed um, you know he's talking about his, his parents or his mother asking him Says they still don't want to talk about it. And they said, "My mother asked me not to not to do this. Don't don't talk about this." And he said, "No, I'm going to. I have to." Um, he's making the point. When I see what's and so he lived in Germany for a few years, and then he had to go back to um, Croatia. But uh, he basically says that being allowed into Germany probably saved his family's life lives. Uh, he says, "When I see what's happening today." Uh, with refugees, I just remember my thing, my family, and how people don't want you in their country. I understand people wanting to protect themselves, but people don't have homes. It's not their fault. They're fighting for their lives just to save their kids. They want a secure place for their kids and their futures. I went through all this. I know what fo some families are going through. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. You can see who the good people are and who are not. Um, so, yeah, you can check it out. I think they've made it available on their website. Yeah, it's really good. I, did, I haven't actually seen the video. I've, I've read there were a lot of articles based on all the quotes. See, it's amazing. Th th that's such a recent conflict that mm. you've got a guy like Lovren who's only 27 years of age. Mm. And he still remembers being a very young boy growing up in Sarajevo. I was over in Sarajevo a couple of years ago and I did one of these tours uh, of the area, you know, kind of historical tour telling you about all about that, all about the... Uh, the war at that time and the siege of the city. I think he he wasn't he was from he wasn't from so Sarajevo himself. He was from a, a place close to Zenica, which is which is where Bosnia yeah. were playing Ma Ireland. Maybe uh, Sarajevo was quite a specific case because it was under siege for a hell of a long time. But the guy who gave me the tour 
was probably in his 30s. He was a young boy anyway at the, at the time uh, in the early to mid 90s. And it's just incredible that, like he was saying, you'd you go out to play football. You're, you're in constant battle with your parents to go out and play football with your mates on the street, you know? Yeah. Like that this is, you kind of think that everybody's just hunkered down the entire time. And it is, it's absolutely frightening. But for young young boys and young girls, you still want to go out and do the normal things. And he, that's one of his main memories was just constantly fighting with his mother saying, I just want to go out and play ball with one of my neighbours there, you know? And then that neighbour ends up losing a father a few days later or whatever it might be. It's, it's kind of frightening that juxtaposition of the horror of war and then just the mundanity of the normal things that these kids want to do. It's really interesting from Lovren, actually. I definitely recommend watching or, or reading it. Yeah, it was a really horrific, um, horrific uh, situation. I mean, there there are football players all over Europe. I mean, half the Swiss national team, for instance, mm. um, are, you know, guys like, uh, well, Luka Modric actually plays for Croatia, but grew up in Switzerland. Um, you know, Shakiri, um, this type of, mm. there, there's, there was, uh, there's players all over Europe who um, who ended up growing up in different countries uh, because of uh, because of this war, because of their parents fleeing uh, that war. Um, where are we now? Oh yeah, so the the World Cup. Um, uh, Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president, is going to ask for 16 European teams in the 48 team World Cup, uh, which, um, well. He says that he thinks that uh, all of the European teams can qualify um, if they ask for 16 slots. It's so the so the, the World Cup is obviously going up to 48 teams, uh, and they were t- and Europe at the moment has I think 13, so they're asking for an increase of three places, um, which nobody else will vote for. Mm. I don't think because they'll they say you've already got 13. How greedy can you, is it possible for you to be? Um, he's saying, well, obviously we're the best. Uh, uh, we should be realistic. We can push and be outvoted, but we think it is realistic to ask for 16 slots at least, plus another condition that each European team is in different groups. Now, there are 16 groups, so there would be one per group. Then if it is true that we're so good, that quality is on our side, I think all 16 can qualify. At which point it would be... Well, there's, it, it would go to a round of 32, I think. It's two It's two teams out of three that qualify, isn't it, from the groups? You don't, you're shaking your head. I, I don't know. But I'm just re-shaking my head from the original decision to make this... 48 teams and 16 groups of three. Sorry. Yeah. No, I think I think it goes. You to caught a, my visceral reaction to this news that I heard for the first time a number of months ago. It's a it's replayed. a it's a round of 32. Um, so two out of three qualifies from each. There's only one team eliminated from each group, and then five knockout rounds for a total of seven matches for the winner. Um, so it would almost be half European teams if if Seferin is correct. I'm not sure if it would really work out that way. Um, what else is happening? Another there? game changer, Ken. Well, this is a. Uh, Okay, is Borussia Dortmund are playing? We're playing Hertha Berlin in the German Cup, and it's the first time that thirty players have been used in a match, uh, as both teams made two fourth substitutes. So there's a real change in this competition, whereby they're trying out a scheme where if you go to extra time, you can make another substitution, um, which okay, they both decided to do. Um, which, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess if it's uh, if it's just extra time, fair enough. But I think those sorts of ideas, why would it just be extra time? Most matches don't go to extra time, and a fourth substitute would be really useful, especially if you're a larger, richer club that has more players. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The more substitutes you have, the more difficult it becomes to compete without a really big squad. Um, 
So I don't know if I if I would necessarily approve of this uh, measure. Maybe temporary substitutions. Could you do four? You know the way in rugby they've got blood subs, they've got um, concussion. You can get checked for concussions, and there can be substitute while that goes on. Maybe yeah. that maybe that's a way around around. No, I think I just think there's too many. I just always wonder what would Jose Mourinho do? How would he game this system? You know what? What what, what flaw in the rules would he spot to exploit? You know, you gotta. I, I think they're. You know, I think three is too many. Actually, they should just probably go back to no subs. Ken wants a leg hanging off and the player. No, extra man, extra man. Well, if you bring your twelfth man. But then again, you know, I mean, you you had uh, Leicester beat Derby last night, and Steve McLaren. This is in the cup replay, and Steve McLaren, the Derby manager, just talked about how he didn't even want to play the game. Uh, so I suppose losing it isn't really that big a deal. We've got a lot of games in the championship. Our main focus is a playoff place. Our main focus is the championship. We didn't need this replay. I don't think Leicester needed this replay. Maybe the FA have to look at this competition and say, let's just have one tie. Because nobody wanted this replay. You could see that. <laughs> so, um, Another shot in the arm for that competition. Yeah, we had a game at Pride Park two weeks ago. What an occasion. It was a great game. Imagine that going to extra time for penalties. It would have been a classic FA Cup tie. Instead, 10 days later, two completely different teams. Less our priorities. We've got priorities. There was no way we couldn't make eight changes with the schedule we've got coming up. Will people just stop going to these games soon? Yeah. When your manager starts talking about it like that, next time you have a game in that competition next year, what's the point? Yeah, instead of giving out about the managers, at this stage, you should be looking in the mirror at... uh, just thinking, why am There's I no being point taken going for a along. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But you know, uh, we were just, compl- or I was just complaining about too many substitutes. But then, you know, wear and tear is a kind of issue. For, sometimes you forget they're putting their bodies on the line. You know, we had Bellerin the other day, Ryan Mason getting badly injured. Um, I was just reading about uh, Ron Yates. The Liverpool Echo had the thing about Ron Yates and Tommy Smith, two of the. Liverpool players of the sort of Shankly era, um, in Tommy Smith's case, going on into in Pays the era, who are both uh, both now have neurological problems, um, which are um, well, uh, Yates. For instance, Yates uh, was speaking to uh, a Norwegian author, Ranhild Lund Asnes, who wrote a book uh, about Liverpool captains, and basically, Ian St. John had to come along and help this because apparently Yates um, finds it difficult to sometimes put his thoughts together with the condition that he's in Uh, but they told her that um, well Yates the football itself is incredibly heavy especially when it was wet when you headed it most of the times you had it you just think Jesus Christ it's almost impossible to imagine it was like a medicine ball like the big heavy balls from PE you just have to make sure you hit it with your forehead if it hit any other part of your head oh the headaches you'd have after a game so it's, you know, seems quite likely that uh, these, this is probably related to the, the ball multiple times. neurological problems that these men are now having in their 70s. You know, it's not as though neurological problems are unknown, um, you know, for, for people of that age. But it is still a bit young to be getting these types of conditions, you know? I mean, it, it is it is unfortunately the case that kind of oftentimes the prize for living a really long time is to get Alzheimer's disease. It seems to be one of those things at the moment that will, if, if you, you know, you manage to sort of survive various other ailments, nothing else gets you, then eventually 
this will, but oftentimes for people who go a bit older than their sort of early 70s, as these guys are. Um, and obviously the issue there is the... Um, they, these guys didn't make any money really in their career. I mean, they, they made some money. They were they were well paid, you know, compared to sort of average working men of the time. You know, they were they probably were able to buy a house. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's not as though they still have money left from their playing careers. You know, most of them have sold their medals and all that kind of thing. Um, and now they find themselves with uh, in poor health, and it's probably an occupational. Injury. I'm just seeing a piece here by Ian Herbert from last month. I hesitate to recommend a piece, so don't consider this a recommendation because I haven't read the thing yet. But mm. I, I was just having a look at Jeff Astelair to see because uh, I, I knew there had been some stories around him recently. And this is a piece by Herbert last month in The Independent. 15 years on from Jeff Astle's death, why are his family still waiting for head injury research? The Football Association said they would do all they could for the late West Bromwich Albion strikers family, then offered tickets to an England friendly. So assuming the headline reflects what's in the in the title there, uh, I guess we can see Jeff Assel is the one is the most famous case of a footballer whose death was apparently connected or his, his illness was uh, as best as is known connected to um, playing football. Yeah, uh, and and the thing is that the, that you've got this the big dislocation in the the Premier League um, between on the one hand you you've constant stories about how much money the Premier League has. Sky TV, BT Sport, oh, NBC, you know, phenomenal growth in overseas, uh, you know, rights and blah, blah, blah. And the reason for that is because of the, I, I guess English football has got a big brand, you know, big history. Teams like, you know, the, Shank, the Shankly Liverpool uh, played a bit. I mean, Liverpool, to a certain extent, owe their status to what these guys did, mm. you know, and certainly more so than anything that's happened in the last 20 years. Um these clubs are really rich now, and the guys who kind of helped to build them up are, you know, they've yeah. got serious problems resulting from what they what they did. So the slow pace of research is clearly, uh, I mean, in terms of you can see that in, in American football, they have made, they've reached some kind of settlement. You know, they have addressed this issue. They've, you know, whether, whether they have done so in a satisfactory manner is open to debate, but at least something has been done, some money has been paid. You know, I think these guys deserve to be compensated. But you can't really do that until you've got a more... Until there's a proper inquiry and a proper body of evidence assembled. Yeah, and people willing to drive it as well. People willing to... The families of these people being the ones that decide they're going to go through what will end up being an awful lot of hassle fighting with the FA and fighting with very... And getting into a very tricky legal process. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I don't see why that wouldn't happen if if more and more of these cases become apparent. I think it would happen and that would that possibly have something to... that that could possibly help to explain the extremely slow pace at which this is all proceeding because I suppose the slower the pace of of getting this whole thing underway and, and to what is, I think, an inevitable conclusion the slower the pace that, at which that happens, the fewer cases they'll have to deal with. That's it for Kennedy's Report and Sport. What, you, what are you saying? <laughs> you just a phony, man. This is just for I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day. Supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But, brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other was right here. You can, you can run around like you're a preacher and all that you want, but baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. I don't this, man. You can't teach that.
Okay, Rafa Honigstein is uh, ready to talk to us, Rafa, about the retirement of Philipp Lahm, one of the most celebrated German players of the last uh, last decade and more. Um, it's a strange one, though, because it's not. <laughs> I don't quite know what's going on here. There seem to be conflicting um, ideas of what was supposed to happen with this announcement. Philipp Lahm has come out and explained why he feels now is a time to step away from the club before coming back in some capacity. But it seems Bayern were caught on the hop a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a bit of a communication uh, chaos, really, what happened. Um, there's a number of number of things that are tied up with this. Uh, the background is that Bayern are looking for a new sporting director. And uh, last year, Karl-Heinz Rummeninger, the chairman of the, the executive board, said, uh, you know, we have Philipp Lahm. Um, why don't we look at him? And then Lahm started thinking about retiring one year early because he's got a contract until 2018. And on Friday, they sat together and realized that the job that they wanted to offer Lam was perhaps more of an entry-level job, and he wanted to go straight in at the very top and sit on the board and, and really decide things. So it didn't come to pass. They went away thinking, okay, we're going to make this announcement sometime soon. But then Sportbild broke the story on, on Tuesday night, uh, some of his teammates started talking about it, and um, I think Lam was under pressure to basically announce it uh, of his own volition in the mix zone, and the board were caught on the hop, and also blame a little bit his advisor, who wasn't mentioned by name, but in reference was made to him because they feel that he kind of pushed the issue and needlessly kind of made it a bigger thing than it really should have been. I mean, it's interesting what you say, Rafael, about there, there being a you know, maybe Lamb thought that he'd be the sporting director and Bayern maybe had something more like chief scout in mind. But if that was, if that became clear when they spoke to each other that there was, you know, there was maybe a difference in status uh, in, in terms of the jobs they, they envisaged him, the, the next job they envisaged him taking, why didn't he just play on another year? I mean, he's only 33. Well, I think for him, these two things are, are independent of each other. I think um, listening to him in the mix on, on Tuesday, it sounded very genuine that he felt that he wasn't just wasn't able to perform at a similar level beyond this season, and that he didn't want to start playing in a game where you get exposed and you've got 19-year-olds running past you. And I think it's very similar to the kind of Gary Neville situation, where you know Neville probably could have played on in a slightly diminished role for for another year or two but just didn't feel that he was sort of up to his own exacting standards. The thing with a sporting director job is that it was a real job. Um, it was not just a you know, glorified um, office assistant or a chief scout, but they were also conscious of the fact that you can't really come in straight from the training ground, straight from playing, and then negotiate the contracts with your teammates. So they wanted him to ease into this job, to learn maybe, to uh, give somebody more experienced um, a job slightly above him, like Max Eberl, the sporting director of Borussia Mönchengladbach, who's very much in contention, and then sort of build him up. But he felt he wanted to do it um, kind of straight, go straight to the top. And I think reading in his Facebook message from last night, you get the sense that perhaps he realized that that was just maybe a little bit too much to ask. Uh, but... I know for sure that both Bayern and him don't see this as the end, but rather just kind of a delayed 
um, second act, as it were. And I, I'm pretty sure, I'm 99% sure that he'll come back to the club in some in some position in a couple of years' time. Okay, that's interesting that it's not too acrimonious because I, w- I would have been thinking if I'm in charge of Borussia Dortmund or, well, I probably certainly wouldn't work at the moment with Red Bull Leipzig, but one of the other big German clubs at the moment, I'd be thinking, well, Philippe, there are big positions available for you here. You know, you maybe, maybe it's better to start afresh and start something new, but that doesn't sound like it's on the cards. No, it's not on the cards. I don't think it's it's realistic either. You know, for somebody who's so identified with Bayern to to go into another Bundesliga club and 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 to be to be honest with you, I think most of these Bundesliga clubs would would actually say the same that Bayern are saying. You know, what what where's your experience? Mm. You know, have you ever have you ever scouted anyone? Have you ever talked to an agent in your life who's not your own? Um, I think this idea that you know a great player will automatically walk into a job as a sporting director and be a success. Is is alien to most uh, Bundesliga clubs. Certainly, was not something that Bayern themselves fully believed in at this stage. So, I think Lam himself is becoming coming to the realization that uh, doing something else, looking after his many businesses, he's, he's founded quite a few companies, will actually help him to uh, you know to broaden his horizon and to grow off the pitch and put him in a better position actually than to take a to take on a real job. Uh, further down the line when he's got a bit more distance between him and also the, the existing playing style. Yeah, it sounds, uh, I suppose the idea of, of going straight into a high-profile job sounds maybe a bit Gary Neville for the taste of German football. But then Lamb is someone who, I don't know, uh, um, Raphael, what you'd say, but he seems to maybe have some of the same qualities that Neville had as a, not so much as a player, but as a personality when he was a player. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, he's maybe slightly less confrontational, uh, perhaps a bit more um, focused on his own uh, performance. You know, he was a leader through, uh, well, he is a leader through through performing, through setting a standard, through being very professional, but wouldn't necessarily, I think, sort of mount the barricades for a teammate. Uh, the way that Neville did for England and, and, and Man United to a certain extent. So, yeah, there's some, some similarities. I just think that um, German football is at a point where they've become very, very professional and they see a sporting director almost akin to a manager in the sense that it's just a job that that you really should should study for, that you should learn. It's a trade that can be learned, that can be taught, and it's nothing that can really just fall into your lap. Um, somebody who's just come straight off the pitch and I think we've not sure we've talked about this before but Ralph Rangnick um, is of the opinion that um, we will have some kind of licensing system for sporting directors in in a few years to come because the German FA he believes and I think that there is something to it um, are beginning to realize that it's such an important job uh, maybe the most powerful job in the club that you should have a proper education. You should have proper licensing system to make sure you get the, the best people for it. It is interesting that you say that because, I mean, I guess one of the more successful ones, uh, one of the most successful ones in Germany is is Michael Zork, the uh, sporting director of Borussia Dortmund. He started pretty much immediately upon retiring. Maybe, okay, maybe the 90s, maybe it was a slightly different era. But I wonder how uh, how is it possible to be trained in this job? How would you actually go about learning it it seems like the kind of job that some people would have an, uh, more of an aptitude for um than others how much difference would training make no I, I disagree with that i think that's exactly the sort of thing that people said about management 
you know, it's like you have, if you're a former player, then you're going to be a great coach. And I think there's a lot of stuff that that, that should be learned. You know, negotiating um, deals if you don't have some kind of economics background, if you don't have an ac- a background in compliance in in business ethics. If you don't um, have languages, I think all these things in, in modern globalized football are much harder to, to do. Of course, you can do it. The other thing that, that Rangnick says, and I think, again, I, I really buy into it, is that he says the moment you have a fixed setup and a fixed set list of requirements um, for somebody who wants to do a particular job, that actually opens up the field to all sorts of people. Um, if there are no official guidelines if a sporting director is something that basically is just a kind of job for people who used to be players it's very very hard for people who weren't great players to break into but the moment you have um a a regular uh, regularized setup that then encourages people to to come in and train for being a lawyer just or, or a doctor and uh, go away from the system that you probably had in medieval times where you were the son of the lawyer and then became a lawyer, the son of a doctor. So I think football is moving in that direction. Rafa, we've spoken to you a couple of times this <coughs> excuse me, this season about Red Bull, Leipzig, the rise of that club and the antipathy uh, with which it's been greeted in the rest of the Bundesliga. But that spilled over, unfortunately, last weekend. Some shocking reports from the Dortmund game of Leipzig fans being attacked, bottles thrown, ki- kids getting the brunt of it, women and children. Um, what exactly happened here? Well, you summed it up. Um, Sorry, I've I, I pretty much given the answer in the question. <laughs> That's not good broadcasting, Rafa, but uh, it is uh, the reports are reading were accurate, in other words. Yeah, they were. They were accurate. Um, there were some very uh, unsavory scenes. Um, fans were attacked and discriminated of who they were. You know, this wasn't sort of one of those um, kind of meetings of minds where people are up for it, uh, meet other people up for it and there have a little fight but this was really just very indiscriminate um women children men um, people were pelted people were kicked people were shoved around and yeah it was very 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 horrific really what happened outside the pitch inside um it was more quiet it was the, the second part of the story really relates to some pretty disgusting and sort of distasteful banners but the bigger story i think is that violent reaction to what is a really an ideological debate and has really spilled over as you said from animosity from disliking that particular construct to saying every Leipzig fan is now a legitimate target because I don't believe in their right to be in this Bundesliga and to be fair to Dortmund and to be fair to most of the fans in last night's cup game um, against Hertha a lot of people held that banner saying no to violence. A lot of people went out of the way to distance themselves from these people who attacked the Leipzig fans. Um, there was a stadium announcement. There was a video message from Marcel Schmelzer, the, the captain and German, um, uh, the, the Borussia Dortmund captain and Dortmund as a club, uh, trying very hard to identify the people who did um, actually cause the problem outside and try to ban them. So it is it is a problem that's being realized it's being dealt with but of course that doesn't take away anything from the gravity of the situation and from the really horrific experience it was for many Leipzig fans yeah I mean it's good to hear that at least Dortmund are, are trying to or have acknowledged that there's a problem there and they're trying to do something about it I mean the, the idea that you would defend you know your traditional football values by 
beating up scared um you know children throwing bottles at children just um obviously doesn't really stand up to any kind of uh, scrutiny. Dorman have got a few problems themselves, though, don't they, with their fans? I mean, they've got a very... Um, they're, they're certainly a very well-marketed club, and they're a club, generally, I think, that most people regard pretty uh, pretty well, you know, kind of a good model for how to do things and great atmosphere at their stadium. Affordable but, tickets, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, they kind of football done the right way, but they've also got quite a lot of Nazis on that, um, on that big yellow wall. I don't know if it's a lot, if it's the, is the right um, way to um, to put it. I mean, there are 25,000 people there uh, on that wall, and I'm sure um, you've got a few dozen, maybe a hundred. Um, that few? Right-wing, right-wing assholes, yeah. Uh, I'm sure they are. But these these people are, are being being looked at. If they go out of line, they're being banned. There's problems with Stuart sometimes as well. And, yeah, Dortmund as a city has, has a bit of an issue. Um, but the club have been very, very forthright in dealing with it, trying to trying to come down hard on these guys. And there's lots of fan initiatives against uh, right-wing Nazis. I think we talked about this a few years ago where there was an initiative saying no beers for Nazis, where Dortmund fans got together and basically tried to, tried to impose their own little ban on these people. And it's, it's an issue, yes, but it's nothing... You know, as we used to see all over Germany in the 1980s, and of course in, in England as well, where you know you had proper um, Nazi undercurrents in many stadiums. That's just not the case anymore. All right, Rafa, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million. Pleasure. And Randolph sends it long. That's his kind of Shane, Shane Long's in behind the defence. Shane Long against Moyer. Killed you on the uh, sporting director there, can he reckons it's very much the type of role that you can be trained up for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, sorry. that's what that. happens when a football man meets a journalist, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I, fell, I fell a bit into that, uh, you know, that that uh, habit, that that Donald Trump habit of thinking that natural talent. Of course, I'm just a naturally talented sporting director. You know, maybe <laughs> How it's, do you know this. Maybe it's not really a sphere in which maybe you know talent. We've got to start thinking in terms of talent. You wanted to bring up Ander Herrera at some point today, Ken, and yeah. we're running out of time. Ander Herrera is a political genius. We've, we've said this before, but he, he really is. He uh, he uh, was speaking at a tag hoyer. Manchester United are, are uh, being sponsored by you know tag watches. And I saw a number of the players were helping to cut a giant block of cheese giant wheel of cheese that was owned by the chief executive of Tag Air or something like this. There was a photo sent around by one of the journalists out going, this is strange. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I'll have, a, I'll have a look as you talk about Herrera. Um, well, he, he ta- he's, there's quite a few quotes from Herrera going around today. And as always, he's got his finger on the pulse of his manager's brain and the fans, the, the concerns of the fans. Uh, 
Ander Herrera talked about how uh, the one thing that he changed about football now is that he remembers how um, there used to be, when everyone used to stand at the stadium, it was so much better, and he wishes that they could bring that back. And I, I happen to agree with him, but I just question whether he can remember a time when people were allowed to be I mean, having been born what? in 1989. He was born in 1989. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure when the old Cedar Stadium came in in Spain. Uh, maybe maybe he can remember, but certainly um, someone who's born in 1989 would not be able to remember the era of standing in in English football. You know, maybe maybe they could. You know, they. I mean, it finished, I think, in 94. was 94 the last year of it. Um there there was obviously the uh you know the Taylor report was a couple of years before that but they gave clubs a, a couple of seasons mm. to just phase it, phase it out um so i don't know he but but it is obviously a, it has been a concern of Manchester United fans for some time and Andrew Herrera is not the type of player to be unaware of mm. the talk on the terraces he mm. knows exactly but he also mentions that um how happy he is. Obviously, he's delighted with the football that he's playing at the moment. Um, uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be a bit more of a defensive player than last season. I can share my energy with the team in that position. The manager has helped me a lot to get the knowledge about that role. He has been great for me, but not just for me, the team as well. The most cunning, the most devious of them all. Of course, I cannot Grr. lie. This is the time I'm enjoying most at Manchester United. So... Oh, you know, I've, I've got to say, I think this guy's got a future, possibly as a sporting director, maybe as the maybe as the Manchester United chairman. <laughs> really, yeah. I think that he's. Uh, I think he's. I think this guy's going to go a long way. Wayne Rooney and Zlatan Ibrahimovic took time off from cutting through defenses to open up a giant block of cheese as Manchester United's latest partner event took a surreal turn, according to PA. Fans joined some of the club's biggest names at Old Trafford on Thursday as the club's official timekeeper tagged the air launch special edition United watches. Jose Mourinho. Yeah, they're all there, blah, blah, blah. Eccentric tag or chief executive Jean-Claude Bivet joined in before ending the event by presenting United with a 50-kilogram block of grey air made on his farm in Switzerland. Uh, Rooney joined Beaver in trying to cut through the cheese with a giant knife only for Ibrahimovic to be called over to help. It's teamwork, shouted the chief executive as the United attackers cut through it. A new training exercise. As it was being prized open, the compare said, I've commentated on a lot of things in my life, but the opening of a cheese is a first. There were cheers as it was eventually cut, with Biver lifting half of it triumphantly above his head. <laughs> the unlucky Mourinho, last line, will no doubt be pleased his players emerged unscathed, albeit hoping Rooney and Ibrahimovic make lighter work of Watford this weekend. <laughs> so there, yeah, I didn't just imagine that news from yesterday, there was cheese cutting going on. Well, that's... That, that journalist went to that uh, uh, sponsors event with... Probably low expectations, but emerged with possibly the finest five paragraphs he's ever written. <laughs> he's that, ever written. Well, that's you know, it's kind of what what Wenger was talking about, you know. Um, that's when sport becomes beautiful. When men unite their energies to express a common idea, cutting up that piece of cheese, <laughs> Rooney, Ibrahimovic, and Bive. Yeah, Bive. Bive. Well, B I V E or just a quick reminder that Beaver. 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 Yeah. Beaver. Just a quick reminder that the Second Captain's World Service launches on Monday. That's this coming Monday, February the 13th. You can join up for daily podcasts on secondcaptains.com on that day. If you need to check anything with us in the meantime, feel free to email us, editor at secondcaptains.com, or tweet us at secondcaptains. We're uh, really looking forward to getting that going on Monday. Second podcast today in the meantime. 
will feature US Murph on the greatest Super Bowl choke of all time here and there will be there will be some praise of the Patriots but I think Brian is ready to say look at the other side of things gritted teeth yeah, yeah he will grit his teeth praise the Patriots while also sticking to the Falcons for their losing of the game in spectacular circumstances thanks Ken thank you Owen Ken thanks Murph Owen, you're thank, amazing thank you Karen. did you guys get my Arsene Wenger Arsenal gag no yeah, no, okay, I'll just you explained it to I'll, us. I'll explain it to you in so. detail. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 